Hello, and welcome to another preview of a Radical Thoughts podcast bonus episode. In this snippet, I talk with Soren Mao on his forthcoming book, Mute Compulsion, available in English through Verso Books at the end of this year. We discuss how his theory of power differs from other Marxist theories and some of the post-structuralist theories of power. I hope you enjoy, and if you want to hear the full episode, you can subscribe to our Patreon for $3 a month. To go into maybe elaborating how you attempt to analyze economic power, mute compulsion, and maybe distinguish the mechanisms you identify compared to some other Marxist theorists. Some of the work that you engage with is the kind of so-called value form school. I say so-called just because it's extremely varied. There's not necessarily one core set of agreements among all of them, but some of the more popular people that have also tried to talk about abstract domination or abstract impersonal forms of power come yeah. to mind, you know, people like Moisha Postone, Michael Heinrich. I've only been able to read the, um, the, the dissertation version of, of your book so far, but uh, in there you do engage with them a bit. But I know with Postone, you take issue with the way that he tries to talk about, you know, capital as a subject of modernity, of capitalism. And you, you've also kind of agreed with, I think, people like William Clare Roberts, that there also needs to be more of a focus on what the actual class relation of domination is before just jumping to a level of, you know, value as such being dominating or, or abstract power on its own. Um, you can correct me if I'm, if I'm misinterpreting you here, but that, that's a lot of stuff. But I guess, can you elaborate on kind of maybe your disagreements or differences versus some of these figures that have also made similar points to what you're bringing up and kind of where you try to locate the mechanisms or tendencies or processes that aggregate into this kind of impersonal power? Yes, of course. And um, well, value form theory in its different versions was um, is one of the main sources of inspiration for my book and, and especially the work of Mikael Heinrich. Um, but also Pustone, uh, I think uh, Moshe Postone's book is, as far as I know, I think it's it's the only book-length uh, attempt to uh, develop a theory of the abstract domination of capital. So, uh, and and I I'm I agree with Postone on some very fundamental uh, things, and I then I disagree with him on a lot of different things, um, and. Uh, one of one of the one of the things I disagree with him about, and also this 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 is also true of other uh, of a number of other value form theorists, is uh, the, uh, his tendency to um, neglect class domination, or to his his argument is basically that class domination is capitalism is a secondary or derived form of a more fundamental uh, form of domination, which is the domination of the value form. Uh, over everyone, or the domination of everyone by the value form, or by value. So he 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 argues that um, that in that sense, he I would say that he separates what actually belongs together. Because uh, in my my argument in the book is that um, the domination of everyone by value presupposes class domination because it presupposes proletarianizations or it presupposes that a large part of the population is 
um, cut off from access to the means of their own reproduction and thereby forced to sell their labor power because if that if, if that if that class domination is not in place, then the generalization of the commodity form will not take place and therefore value relations will not would not exist. So I think that there's a quite there's a there's quite a clear argument in Marx's writings and a, and a very convincing argument uh, that um, that the domination of everyone by the value form presupposes class domination. And in that and, and because of that, we, we can separate it um, um, like Pistone does. Um, and he's not the only one to do that. Um, so so that's one of the my disagreements with him. Another one is, is as you said, the, the, the question about whether or not we, sh we should uh, understand capital as a subject. And the reason why I go into a discussion of this is that I, I defend, I try to defend the expression, the power of capital. And in, in order to speak of the power of capital, you, of course, you have to be able to defend the, the, the idea that capital is something that can exercise power or have power. And most theories of power argue or presuppose that power is something that can only exist between relations or can only exist uh, as a relation between subjects or actors or human beings or something like that. So if, if that's true, then you would have to argue that capital is a subject or an actor. So I, so that's why I discuss this uh, this question. And, and some Marxists make that argument that capital can be understood as a subject. One of them is Stone, another one is Chris Arthur. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. A third one is uh, Robert Kurz um, uh, or Werner Bonefeld. Um, anyways, um, I don't find their attempts to describe capital as subject convincing. I, I don't think it makes sense to speak of capital as subject or perhaps to be more precise, I think it, it makes more sense to, to describe capital as a social logic in the sense that it's, it's, not a, it's not a type of thing. It's not a category of thing, but it's a certain way of using things and everything that can be bought and sold can be capital because it can be uh, used in order to accumulate wealth in its abstract form as money. And that's what capital is, uh, a social logic. So it's a way of using things. And I, so, so instead of defending the notion that capital is a subject, I, in, I instead try to broaden the, the, the concept of power uh, and argue that um, we can speak of the power of capital, not because capital is subject, but because power is not only a relationship between subjects, but it can also be a relationship between the emergent properties of relations between subjects. And, and, uh, and that's what capital, among other things, that's what capital is. It's, it's, an, it's an emergent property in the sense that it's a, it's a social logic that relies upon re relations between human, be human beings. It relies on relationships between actors or subjects, but it's not reducible to it because it, 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 it generates or it creates, it gives rise to certain social dynamics, which are, which are not reducible to the, the, the human subjects that underpin them, if that makes sense. So that's, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's my disagreement with Pistone on, on that question. To throw around a overused word uh, in a way, it seems to me like it's kind of a dialectic of power as something that is both 
in one way, an aggregate or outcome of relations between people in society, but also it produces its own kind of constraints and reinforcements of the very kind of behaviors that found yeah. the relationships in a way. Yes. One way of understanding what I try to do here is to contrast it to two to the two main tendencies in discussions about the concept of power. One, the first one is the the traditional mainstream theories of power, where power is something that can only exist in relationship between human subjects or actors or something like that. And the other one is thinkers connected to new materialism or actor network theory or object-oriented ontology or uh, similar tendencies. They often work with an extremely broad notion of power where because of because they because of their broad understanding of what an actor is and because of their defense of the idea of non-human actors and that everything can be an actor basically then they also have to tend they also tend to have a very broad notion of power i think Bruno Latour uh, somewhere i think i lost your audio for a second there okay yeah i think there's something wrong with my headphones but i'm just going to use the microphones on my computer now no problem. I think he defines power as uh, the ability to make a difference or something like that. And everything that can make a difference can exercise power. And I think that's that's like the other extreme end, right? Uh, that, that's, an, that's a very broad notion of power and also too broad, I think, because it, it, be, it becomes, well, that's a longer discussion, but it becomes impossible to distinguish between social, the social and the natural. And I think that that's, a, and that's, of course, there, they would just say yes. And that's the, that's the point. Uh, but I would I would argue that we actually need to um, hold on to a distinction between the social and the natural. And Andreas Mann has written a, a great book about that. Um, but um, anyway, so I try to I try to use the concept of power in a way that uh, avoids both of these tendencies. Too. So it's I'm somewhere in the middle, uh, in between uh, those two concepts of power because I argue that power can be a relationship between human subjects but it can also be a relationship between human subjects and the emergent property of properties of uh, these relations and i think that if we lose sight of the of of this phenomenon or, or this level of um emergent properties which is dependent upon relations between human subjects but not reducible to them then we lose the ability to understand how capitalism functions. That's it for this preview. If you are interested in hearing more, you can subscribe to our Patreon for $3 a month. We hope that you will check out Soren Mao's book and his further projects. Thank you again to the author for coming on our show. Hopefully our next group reading of Laclau's Emancipations will be out by the end of this month. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join in next time.